we're going to look this morning at the parable of the great banquet, which Jesus continues with in verse 15 of Luke chapter 14. We were looking last week at how Jesus was invited to the house of a leader of the Pharisees for Sabbath lunch and how during that time uh, we saw a clash of cultures actually occurring between Jesus as he represented the culture of the Godhead, which is a missional culture, which is driven by compassion for the lost and with a desire to engage with those who do not yet know him. And the culture of the Pharisees, who were elements of the religious culture of the day, who were really preoccupied with themselves and their own spirituality and their own spiritual progress and became an exclusive culture, community, that was resistant, actually, to the ongoing mission of Jesus and how they were provoked at the culture of Jesus. We looked at how Jesus was preoccupied with mission and fueled with compassion, whilst the Pharisees, on the other hand, were preoccupied with correctness and with getting everything just right. We looked at how Jesus focused on people outside of the religious community, whereas the Pharisees were preoccupied with where they fitted into the political kind of order of the religious community. And we looked at how Jesus was radically inclusive in his lifestyle and intentionally and deliberately gave quality time with those who were lost and poor and needy. And the Pharisees, on the other hand, whose world revolved around nothing more than the religious community that they were a part of and were very in-house in their thinking. And so we're going to pick up the story in verse 15 because having confronted some of these issues in the Pharisees and demonstrated something radically different before them, a man feeling, I guess, a bit awkward in the midst of this mealtime, and it was always a very great risk, wasn't it, inviting Jesus to a, a Sabbath lunch, comes out with this religious saying. In verse 15, we pick up the story. It says, When one of those who reclined at table with him heard these things, he said to him, Blessed is everyone who will eat bread in the kingdom of God. And then Jesus turns to him. And in verse 16 we read, But he said to him, A man once gave a great banquet and invited many. And at the time for the banquet he sent his servant to say to those who had been invited, Come, for everything is now ready. But they all alike began to make excuses. The first said to him, I've brought a field and I must go out and see it. Please have me excused. And another said, I've bought five yoke of oxen and I go to examine them. Please have me excused. And another one said, I've married a wife and therefore I cannot come. So the servant came and reported these things to his master. Then the master of the house became angry and said to his servant, Go out quickly to the streets and lanes of the city. And bring in the poor and crippled and blind and lame. And the servant said, Sir, what you commanded has been done and still there is room. And the master said to the servant, Go out to the highways and hedges and compel people to come in, that my house may be filled. For I tell you, none of those men who were invited shall taste my banquet. 
We have here one of Jesus' stories or parables in response to the uh, religious outburst of this invitee of the Pharisee. And Jesus here tells a wonderful, simple story that illustrates something of God's missional heart as he sends out the invitation of the gospel. We're going to look at some of the features of this parable. I want to draw some parallels and I want to encourage us as messengers really with an invitation to give to people who are not yet tasting the good things that God has provided for them. The first thing that we learn from this story is that there is, first of all, a message of good news. At the heart of a mission-shaped church is a message of good news. We call that the gospel, which simply means good news. And the focus of this story is this incredible, lavish, extensive banquet that the master of the house has put on free of charge for all who will respond to his invitation. This is not just a few sandwiches and a sloppy quiche. This is an incredible feast that someone has gone to great trouble to prepare. It's an extensive spread of food. It's enough to feed a house full of people. It's been put on, as I said, at some considerable cost. And in the culture of the time, this kind of scene would have been very, very familiar to Jesus' hearers. Religious feasts were very much part of the social uh, makeup of the time and the culture of that day. There were religious feasts regularly within the year. God himself initiated those religious feasts within the Jewish culture. There were wedding feasts that were big banquet occasions that Jesus' listeners would have been very aware of. These were highlights in the year. They were very much part of the culture of the day. I know our experience in India was that feasting times were highlights of the social calendar. And so with the church that we were with in Shillong, for example, at Christmas time, it was a major thing for us. In fact, I think it was the, it it, it drew in the most organization and administration out of any event that occurred during the year. It was prepared months in advance. It was a major occasion and we would, um, you know, Christmas Day would begin with the church very early in the morning with a live goat and some chickens that were slaughtered and uh, feathered. And the meat was prepared and firewood was brought and a a big saucepan was uh, set up over the fire and everyone was involved and then we would uh, worship God, we'd have a, a meeting together and then a feast together which involved the whole family of God there. It was a major occasion. Well, that's the kind of occasion Jesus is speaking of here. Sometimes in the Jewish culture, wedding feasts, for example, would go on for days on end. And behind the scenes, there was a lot of preparation. Here we find that the master has prepared a feast. And just as he gets everything right and ready, he sends out his servant with an invitation. The servant, of course, has been involved in the preparation. He knows what he is inviting people to. 
He has smelt the lamb roasting. He has witnessed the flasks being filled with the finest of wine. He knows that everything is laid on that table and is ready for those that he is going to offer an invitation to. And so as he leaves the house and he goes out with his invitation, he goes out with a smile on his face. He goes out knowing in his heart that he has good news in his hand. He has seen the banquet. He has smelt the lamb roasting. And he knows that he has good news to offer to those who are invited. He goes out aware that he is carrying good news. He knows as well that this is a totally free lunch for those who will be invited. There's no hook. There's no cost. It is laid on free of charge. And so as the servant goes out, you can imagine him not awkward or embarrassed or a bit shy and uh, feeling bashful, but he goes out knowing that he has a good news invitation. Well, it's exactly the same for us, isn't it? The gospel is good news. Do you believe that? This message that we have here in our Bibles is good news. It is a wonderful invitation. The gospel is good news. And we have been commissioned to take this invitation of good news to others who have not yet received their invitation. They're out there. They don't know what they're missing. They're invited. And we're called to take out the message of good news to them. And so at the heart of our mission, whether it's worked out on our doorstep or in another nation altogether, is a message of good news. Central to the gospel is the message of what God himself has done in and through Christ Jesus. That's our message. It's an invitation to participate in what God has provided for men and women and children. It's an invitation to join in at a wedding feast with God himself. It's an invitation to something that is lavish and extravagant and extensive that God himself has got ready and which he now offers to all people free of charge. You see, the gospel's not an invitation to self-improvement or for people to embark on some kind of routine of spiritual gymnastics. It's an, it's an offer and an invitation to get in on the good thing that God himself has done for men and women and children. It's a good news invitation. Because it doesn't involve any sense in which people have to make the grade before they can sit at this table and enjoy this feast with God. All it requires is a simple response of faith in what God has done on their behalf. That's good news, isn't it? It's about God's free provision in Christ of righteousness as a gift. That's the invitation that God is entrusted with. And so as we go out to engage with people in our society, we go out convinced in our hearts that we really do carry good news for them. There's a feast laid on. And we've tasted something of it ourselves. We're living every day in the enjoyment of this feast. We've tasted 
And we've seen the good things that God has done for us. And we carry an invitation which is valid for whoever wants to respond and come and sit at God's table and enjoy the good things that he has done for them. It's an extensive banquet that God has provided and that we're inviting people to. If you're not a Christian this morning, this feast that God has laid for you is for you personally. You think of some of the aspects of what God has done. Free pardon for sin. That we offer through what Christ has done that sin can be forgiven and washed away and removed and that the conscience can be cleansed as a free gift. That's wonderful, isn't it? You think of the offer of deliverance. That God offers to bring freedom from the power of evil and the cycle of condemnation and sin. That's good news that we offer. Healing for our bodies. Not only that, but adoption as sons into his family. That God's not offering us to come into his house as servants or business partners, but he's offering us to come as his very own children. And the way is open for us to enter into an extraordinary, profound experience of intimacy with Him as our Father. Adoption. What a feast that God has laid out. You think of the gift of the Holy Spirit through whom the love of God is poured out into our hearts and through whom we are empowered to do all that God calls us to. That's part of this table that God has laid out. That we don't have to strive in our own strength and we don't have to wait for some future experience. But in the here and the now, we can experience relationship with God and the goodness of God and the love of God in a meaningful, relevant way through the free gift of the Holy Spirit that God pours into us. It's a wonderful feast that God has laid. And apart from that, we have the promise of everlasting life. An unending future that is going to be unimaginably delightful. This is our invitation, friends. This is the good news that we carry in our hands to a needy world out there. What a banquet. This is what we're inviting people to. And so at the heart of mission is this message of good news, the gospel. And a mission-shaped church is therefore a gospel-centered church. It is a church that majors on the good news of the gospel. Although we may have different strategies in terms of outreach, although we may have high-profile and low-profile things, although we may have uh, seeker-friendly things and not-so-seeker-friendly things, at the heart of it all is this wonderful invitation, this message of good news. And the thing that drives us is this desire to hand out to as many as possible in our day this invitation of the gospel. So let's treasure this message of good news. Don't let the good news of the gospel grow stale in your bread basket. Revel afresh in the good news of the gospel, this wonderful invitation that is in your hand and that God has called you to pass on to others. Be convinced that this is good news. I know we live in a difficult culture in which to share this gospel. 
And it's called to repentance, but let's hold our heads up high. Let's not be awkward and embarrassed. Let's be convinced in our hearts that we really do have a fantastic message that every individual needs to hear. Second thing that we learn here from this story is that there is a messenger who is willing to go. There's a message of good news and there is a messenger who is willing to go. And within the scenario and the unfolding of the events, this is really a key component to the whole story unfolding. On the one hand, we have the master of the house who has gone to great expense and personal cost to prepare an extensive and lavish feast. And on the other hand, we have those who do not yet know that they are invited, but will one day be invited. And some of them will respond and enjoy the good things that the master has prepared for them. But between these two parties, we have a messenger who was willing to go and communicate the invitation. And he is a key component within the story. His responsibility is not to get the feast ready or to pay the price to put on the feast. His responsibility is not to respond himself to the invitation. All he has to do is to go and communicate the invitation to others. That's his role. It's a very simple and yet a very crucial link in the chain between the feast that's prepared and the individuals who are invited to enjoy that feast. This is the way God works, isn't it? God's mission is to reclaim and restore lost humanity and eventually a fallen creation. God, just like the master of the house, has paid the price to make a way possible for that to happen. For all who respond to him. He's done everything necessary to enter the kingdom and sit with him at his table. And yet the key to the great story of salvation are servants who are willing to go. That's you. That's me. We have an invitation to convey. We are in biblical terms his witnesses. Romans 10:13 to 15 says this, For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then will they call on him in whom they've not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they've never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they're sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach good news. At the heart of a mission-shaped church are messengers who are willing to go. Now, you may think that God is crazy to place the outworking of his mission on the shoulders of fickle human beings like you and me. But that is exactly what the Bible teaches us. That we are the crucial link in the chain. That if they are to believe, they have to hear. If they are to hear, we have to speak and know that we're sent by God. Jesus himself handed over his mission to a bunch of fragile fishermen. Some were a bit flaky. One had recently had a major personal setback and had denied him three times. 
Their understanding clearly as we read through the Gospels was still fairly limited. They were very much incomplete and unsanctified. And yet Jesus gathers them together and hands on the baton of his mission in the earth. He doesn't gather angels or archangels or supermen and superwomen. He gathers ordinary men and women like you and me. And he entrusts them with an invitation to convey the good news of the gospel and to reach the nations. And so at the heart of the story of God in our generation and at the heart of the story of God for our city and for our region are messengers willing to go. That's who we are. That's what we want to respond to God in terms of making ourselves available to him for. 2 Corinthians 5, 19-20 says, In Christ God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors of Christ, God making his appeal through us, we implore you on behalf of God, be, on the behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. So the challenge for us today is to be those who say to God, God, I am willing. I may be a bit flaky, I may be a bit incomplete and unsanctified, my knowledge may be limited, and I may be very ordinary, but God, here I am, send me. I'm a willing messenger, willing to get engaged in the lives of those around me who do not yet know you. That's the challenge that's always been there, actually. When Jesus looked out on the crowds and was moved with compassion, he turned to his disciples and he said, The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. The problem's not with the harvest. The problem is with the lack of availability of laborers. And so I want to encourage us as a mission-shaped church to be constantly expressing to God our availability to be messengers who go with this invitation. We know from the New Testament that there is also a particular calling on individuals within the body of the church and a specific grace on them to be evangelists. Ephesians 4.11 says that the risen Christ has given some to be evangelists. And my heart and my prayer is that we will see among us, as a mission-shaped church, more and more local church-based evangelists being raised up to spearhead our mission into the world. So a mission-shaped church then is full of messengers who are willing to go. Let me ask you, are you willing to go? It's not an invitation to be a platform evangelist, but just to be an ordinary individual who looks faithfully to communicate the gospel as God gives you opportunities to do that. Let's make ourselves available to God. Let's live our daily lives available to share a word here or a word there. Let's look for God to open up opportunities for us. Let's take upon ourselves that responsibility to be that crucial link in the chain in the story of God for our city and for our generation. So a messenger who's willing to go. Third thing that we find here is that there is a commitment to persevere. 
The servant goes out with a smile on his face. He's conscious that he really is carrying good news. He's aware that everything's prepared. And so he goes out with an invitation. To what response? Well, everyone he goes to initially rejects the invitation to his face. And so the servant returns to the master, dejected and disappointed. Every time he's given an invitation, he's met with disappointment and rejection. And so he returns to the master. The first guy, it seems, has made an exciting new real estate purchase and wants to enjoy that. The next guy has just invested in some new machinery for his business and is keen to see it up and running as soon as possible. The next guy's just got married and wants to take life easy with his wife. And so again and again and again, there is rejection to this invitation. Excuses, excuses, excuses. And it would have been very easy for the servant to take all this very personally and to refuse to return with the invitation again. But he doesn't. He goes back and he exposes himself to the master. He opens his heart to the master's passion for his house to be filled. And he is recommissioned and resent. As he goes back dejected and rejected to the master, the master reveals that he is indignant that his house is still, after that invitation, empty. His master sends him out again. And so in his recommissioning, we find that there is the passionate determination of the master to complete and fulfill what he has predetermined will happen. That his house will be filled. He is indignant that his house is still empty. He's not indignant at the messenger, but at the emptiness of his house and at the refusal of those who have been invited. The master, however, doesn't just shut his door and compromise and enjoy his feast with a few family members. No. He sends the servant out to the streets and to the byways. This is a feast that's been laid on for a great crowd. And the master's passion and determination reinvigorates the servant and sends him out again to persevere with his invitation. I believe it's important that at the heart of mission, we have a commitment to persevere in this way. You see, the reality is we will face disappointment. We will face setback. We will experience at times rejection of the gospel invitation. Maybe someone you've invited to the Alpha and they've never responded. Maybe uh, other people that you've sought to share the gospel with, family members that year after year just don't seem to come any closer to God. We long for seasons of revival, don't we, when all we need to do is speak out the gospel and crowds fall down in repentance before God. We long for that day. But the reality is we don't live yet in that season. And so we often meet with disappointment like the servant here did. I believe that it's important that we return to the master and that we meet with God afresh and are freshly recommissioned and reinvigorated 
with his passion to fill his house. You see, God is not going to settle for some private lunch with a few faithful survivors. God is passionately committed and has predetermined that his house will be filled. Amen? That heaven will be populated with a multitude that no one can count or number. And that there will be people from every tribe and every race and every nation and every language group represented in the house of God on that final day. The NBC actually is a tiny little room compared to what God is intending to fill with people. And yet God is passionately committed to filling his house. Revelation reveals to us that despite the setbacks and the disappointments, this is how the story is going to end for us as his servants. So let me encourage you then, if you've met with setback and disappointment, as you've sought to participate in God's mission, as you've met with excuses, 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 maybe you've prayed for the sick and nothing's happened, Maybe you felt a call to the nations and you've pushed doors that just haven't opened. Maybe initiatives that you've begun have gone terribly pear-shaped. Let me encourage you this morning. Come back to the master of the house and let him fill you afresh with a passion to see his house filled. So that we get back out there into the mission field knowing the end of the story. Let me encourage you to come and release from yourself any sense of taking those disappointments personally and allow God to fill you afresh with determination. So there is a passionate sense of perseverance that we need as a mission-shaped people. Fourth thing is that there is a sense of focus and urgency that we find here. As the servant is sent out again, he carries a sense of real urgency from the master with him. In verse 21 we read, the master says, go out quickly. In verse 23 he says, go out to the highways and hedges and compel people to come in. There's a a note and a sense of deep urgency and focus that comes into the messenger here. It's important Because it keeps the servant from being distracted or waylaid. It ensures that he remains fully focused on the essential task that is at hand. It's an urgency and a focus that we find Jesus putting into his people every time he sends them out, actually. As we read in uh, in Matthew of when he sends out initially the twelve disciples, Jesus says these things. He says to them, go nowhere among the Gentiles. And enter no town of the Samaritans, but go rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel and proclaim as you go, saying, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse lepers, cast out demons. You received without paying, give without pay. Acquire no gold, nor silver, no copper for your belts, no bag for your journey, nor two tunics, nor sandals, nor a staff. For the laborer deserves his food. And whatever town or village you enter, find out who is worthy in it and stay there until you depart. As you enter the house, greet it. And if the house is worthy, let your peace come upon it. But if it is not worthy, let your peace return to you. And if anyone will not receive you or listen to your words, shake off the dust from your feet when you leave that house or town. You think, what's that all about? 
In fact, you find in Luke 10, almost the same sense of focus and urgency as the 72 themselves are sent out. Well, I believe that what Jesus is saying here, that as we go and as we engage and as we connect with people who are outside of Christ, it is to be with a sense of focus and urgency. There's, a dis- there's a, a, an opportunity or a, a temptation for us to be disappointed through rejection, but there is also a, a temptation to be distracted in our mission. And Jesus is saying to them here, look, don't clutter yourselves up with all these other things. Just stay focused on the essential task and mission that I have called you to. Reaching the lost. It's important that we remain single-mindedly focused on our essential task as his people, which is reaching the lost for the glory of God. And as we engage in our mission as a church and as individuals, it is to be with this clear sense of focus and urgency that we know the kingdom of heaven is at hand. That our lives are not cluttered up with things that distract us from that one essential calling that is on us as a people. You know, in performance cycling, like the Tour of de France, one of the keys to effectiveness is having a machine that is totally stripped down to the bare essentials. And so if you've seen perhaps on the television, uh, some of these bikes that men like Lance Armstrong race on, they are machines that are totally stripped down. There's no clutter on those machines. You know, you don't find Lance Armstrong on a bike that's got a bell or a shopping basket, or big fat wheels, or a rack and panniers on the back. They are performance machines. And so they are shaped and built and designed free from all clutter. Well, I believe Jesus is saying to us here, as we engage in our mission, that's exactly what the machine of the church is to be like. And what we as individuals are to be like. That we are not to be cluttered with things that distract us from this core focus and essential task of reaching the lost. In many ways, a mission-shaped church is like that. It may be large and it surely will have lots of activity. And yet it is focused and single-mindedly honed and shaped onto a particular mission, which is reaching the lost. It is clutter-free. Jesus says to his disciples here, he wants their lifestyles to be clutter-free in order that we can participate urgently in the mission that we're called to. So let me encourage us then to declutter our lives. I hope that some of that is going on in the community groups as we're working through the implications of this, that we're putting things in place that just get us refocused actually on the essence of what God has called us to. I believe it's important that we do that, that we do at times examine whether or not we have somehow got disconnected from the people we're calling, called to reach. That we do make adjustments in our lives so that we are intentionally connecting with the lost in a relevant way. We need to be those who are focused and urgent in our mission. And then the final thing we learn here is that we need to be a people who have a heart for all kinds of people. As the story unfolds, we find sadly that those who were initially invited 
never ever get to taste the good things that have been prepared for them. Having gone out on those to those of, of, on the original invitation list and having met with a disappointing response, the servant goes back to the master and he is then sent to the public places of the streets and lanes of the city. He's called then to bring in the lame, the poor, the crippled. It's exactly the same phrase that Jesus uses in verse 13 as he's challenging the Pharisees and their cliquey inclusiveness. And he's provoking them to open their hearts and their homes to those on the margins of society. Here the master sends the messenger out to those who are poor, crippled and lame. To those who have no fields, to those who have no oxen, to those who have no happy marriages, to the victims of, rat, of the rat race, to the broken, to those who rather than feeling at the core of society, feel that they are on the rubbish heap of society. And what we find here is that there is a clear shift in the focus of mission for this servant. He goes to those who are alienated, those who are forgotten. You know, the reality is our society is littered with such people. They may even be living on your street. The poor. We find in Scripture that God's heart is for these kinds of people. And the exciting thing here is that as the focus of mission changes and there is an engagement in a very public way with these kind of people, that there is a very different response to the invitation. Suddenly, the house begins to be filled. You know, I believe there are times when we can be throwing our, our net on one side of the boat all night long. And we end up with a few little tiddlers. And Jesus will come and say, now you throw your net on the other side. And we find there's a great catch. That's exactly what happens here in this parable. The focus changes. There is a shift in terms of those within society that the servant is now engaging with this invitation of the gospel. But that's not the end. Because the master is not happy with his house just being half filled. He sends the servant out again further afield to the highways and the hedges. And so the scope of the invitation now is extended to embrace the regions beyond. To those who are culturally distant from those who were initially invited. Most commentators agree that this represents the opening up of the gospel to nations other than the Jewish nation. To those of mixed races and other races and of course, this parable is exactly what we find through the story of the book of Acts. That through the Gospels, Jesus' mission was limited geographically and culturally to the nation of Israel. And then as Acts opens up and unfolds, we find that the messengers of the Gospel begin then to get into the highways and the hedges. And there are other nations that receive the invitation. The scope of mission is extended to all nations or all people groups. And so at the heart of mission is this concern for all kinds of people. 
And a mission-shaped church seeks to infiltrate every strata of society, every highway, every byway, every hedge. A mission-shaped church carries God's intentional heart for the poor and marginalized and a passion for the nations on its doorstep. A mission-shaped church deliberately builds bridges into these culture groups and crosses cultures in order to reach out to those within these sections of society. And our hope and our prayer is that increasingly we will do that. Amen? I know we have um, in the past had an outreach in the prison. We're hoping at some stage in the not-too-distant future to begin to open up again that opportunity for us to engage with those in our prison We're looking certainly by the end of this year to begin some kind of language cafe where we can begin to gather and serve those on our doorstep who are from other nations. A mission-shaped church reaches out in this way to these kinds of people. So let me conclude then by encouraging us to respond to God's provocation at this time. I believe God is stirring us just to tune in afresh to his heart for the lost and the needy. God's passion for us is that we, like Jesus, model and represent the missional culture of God himself. That we resist any tendency to replicate the culture that the Pharisees represent, actually. That we avoid becoming inclusive. That we reach out with a heart full of compassion. That we keep the gospel right at the very center of our mission. That we do persevere despite the setbacks. We don't labor for five years and look around and find the church has not grown and then think, well, we'll compromise there and we'll shut the doors and we'll just be happy with what we've got. No, we need to come back to the master. We need to see that his passion is that every seat in this auditorium is filled and that there are extra seats as much as this building can hold. That we come back and we open our hearts to him. This is what he's predetermined. That he will have a house that is filled with every tribe and tongue and nation. That we do open our hearts to the poor and those of other nations. And that we make adjustments in our lives so that we are decluttering ourselves from everything that will distract us from the one essential task that Jesus has given us in the Great Commission. And that we are flexible and responsive to God as we move on and make progress into the place that he's called us to.